namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya transformation of earth but smoke is better than the raw wood and fire is still better for by fire we can derive the benefits of superior knowledge through vedic sacrifices similarly passion rajas is better than ignorance tamas but goodness sattva is best by goodness 
best because by goodness one can come to the, to realize the absolute truth. Purport. As explained above, one can get released from the conditioned life of material existence by devotional service to the personality of Godhead. It is further comprehended herein that one has to rise to the platform of mode of goodness, sattva, so that one can be eligible for the devotional service of the Lord. But if there are impediments on the progressive path, anyone, even from the platform of tamas, can gradually rise to the sattva platform by the expert, expert direction of the spiritual master. Sincere candidates must, therefore, approach an expert spiritual master for such a progressive march. And the bona fide expert spiritual master is competent to direct a disciple from any stage of life, tamas, rajas, or sattva. It is a mistake, therefore, to consider that worship of any quality or any form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is equally beneficial. Except Vishnu, all separated from, from all separated forms are manifested under the conditions of material energy. And therefore, the forms of material energy cannot help anyone to rise to the platform of sattva, which alone can liberate a person from material bondage. The uncivilized state of life, or the life of the lower animals, is controlled by the mode of tamas. The civilized life of man, with a passion for various types of material benefits, is the stage of rajas. The rajas stage of life gives a slight clue to the realization of the absolute truth in the forms of fine sentiments in philosophy, art, and culture, with moral and ethical principles. But the mode of sattva is still a higher stage of material quality, which actually helps one in realizing the absolute truth. In other words, there is a qualitative difference between the different kinds of worshiping method as well as the respective results derived from the predominating deities, namely Brahma, Vishnu, and Hara. Om Ajnana Tibrandasya Jana Jana Shalakaya Takchakshulan Malitam Jena Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Sapitam Jena Bhutsale Swayam Rupalkadam Mayam Tadati Kapadantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world a mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Pancha kalpa tarubhyasha kripa sinubhayevacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shivas Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today we'll discuss how to get released from the conditioned life of material existence devotional service to God, and the importance of a spiritual master. So we've discussed 
the modes of material nature in a previous class that I've given, <clears throat> and I kind of gave like a precursory introduction of what is the modes of nature. We'll go into a little bit more detail today. Because this is a really vast topic. I think there's like two or three chapters in the Bhagavad Gita devoted to the modes of material nature and how they, the qualities and how they manifest in, in each person. Um, <clears throat> so I'll just kind of highlight of all those qualities what's relevant to what we talked about in the purport today. Prabhupada says that to be to even be eligible for devotional service of the Lord, one has to rise to the platform of the mode of goodness. Why? Anybody know why we have to be at the mode of goodness in order to achieve devotional service? So if we look, first let's look at uh, the qualities of the mode of ignorance. The qualities from Bhagavad Gita 14.8 and 14.13 is that um, those in the mode of ignorance are in delusion. Right? It's delusion of all living entities. It results in madness, indolence, and sleep. We see a lot of the qualities manifest as madness, illusion, inertia, darkness, and this binds the conditioned souls. So, you know, if you think about these words, madness, illusion, delusion, you know, inertia means like no get up and go. There's nothing to move a person. So this is not the type of person that's going to seek out knowledge, right? Seek out something more. They're just kind of kind of like that hamster in a cage running on a wheel, right? They're not really looking to see that there's anything more to life. So it's hard to... Um, teacher explain that to someone who has no interest in learning. So um, if we look even further, right, in 1416 Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, the actions um, performed in the mode of ignorance result in foolishness. Um, they're performed in ignorance and delusion. They're without consideration of future bondage or consequences. It can inflict injury and is impractical, right? Like, we just do what you want to do. Like, a good example is a drunkard. All he cares about is getting drunk. He doesn't think about the consequences of getting into a car and what that might do to other people. It's very impractical to drink. It's a lot of money that you're wasting, a lot of time. Um, you're not able to, like, go beyond what you're already doing. You're just going to go to work, come go to the bar, drink, and, you know, and then sometimes that has major consequences for the family. Um, it's a bad example for the kids. So we can see that just like that example, that it's very impractical, right? And, and so it's hard to teach somebody like that again. Um, the knowledge in the mode of ignorance is that it's attached to one kind of work as the all in all, right? Like someone thinks like, well, you know, I'm a um, street sweeper and that's it. That's all there is to life. Sweep the streets, go to the bar, go home. That's it. Um, it's without knowledge of the truth, and it's very meager. So the person who's um, in the mode of ignorance is always engaged in work against the injunction of the scripture. Very materialistic, obstinate, cheating, and expert in insulting others. Is lazy, always morose, and procrastinating. I have to admit, the last sentence there kind of describes me. 
I'm always procrastinating. I actually read this book that's called Procrastination on Purpose. And it's a concept that um, Prabhupada talks about, um, lazy intelligence, right? So we don't need to spend our intelligence doing things that are automatic. We can spend that, you know, we can just be lazy about that, but then we're intelligent enough to know what we have to spend it on. That's the big difference between being in the mode of ignorance and the mode of goodness is there's that knowledge and distinction. And here, there's not that knowledge there. The understanding in the mode of ignorance is irreligion to be, they consider irreligion to be irreligion and religion to be irreligion. They're under the spell of illusion and darkness and they always strive in the wrong direction. You know, we always know these people that like, or you hear this phrase, you know, they can't get anything right. Like, you know, you kind of know people like that. Like, anything they try to do, they just, it just collapses. It, you know, you're like, just sit over there, don't do anything, just try not to breathe. Because even that can cause problems. I'm sure we all have people that we know that are like that. Um, and then as far as determination, they cannot go beyond dreaming, fearfulness, lamentation, moroseness, and illusion. And it's very unintelligent. So they have no concept of anything beyond, right? They don't dream about anything bigger. They're fearful of anything else that they don't know about. What they know about is their little um, bubble, and that's all they care to know about. And the happiness that they have is blind to self-realization. It's delusion from beginning to end and arises from sleep, laziness, and illusion, so none of these qualities inspire, you know, further knowledge to look into anything more. So it's really hard to um, teach somebody or to explain somebody what is true knowledge and what is God and what is the concept of God and how do we achieve that. It's not that it's impossible. It's just it's difficult. There's more challenges. Um, Prabhupada says here... Um, There are impediments on the progressive path. But anyone, even from the platform of Thomas, can gradually rise to the sattva platform. So even anyone that's in the Thomas or even the rajas, which is the ignorance or passion mode, has to rise up to the mode of goodness in order to even be able to start to grasp these concepts of devotional service, the divine, who is God, what is our relationship to him. Um, I'm not going to go into too much about the mode of passion because we can kind of see the, the broad example from the mode of ignorance. But let's look at the qualities of the mode of goodness and see if we can you know, contrast that from what we talked about. And all of this is from um, Bhagavad Gita chapter 14 and 18. So the qualities of someone in the mode of goodness is that they're purer than others. They're illuminating. Right? They're just kind of beaming knowledge. Um, they free it frees one from all sinful reactions. Can develop knowledge, can become. But the other, on the other hand, they can become conditioned by the concept um, of happiness. So, the mode of goodness is good, and I think we talked about this in my last high talk class that I talked about the three modes of material nature. But it's still in the material world, right? It's still a material mode. It's the top of the material modes, but it's still material. So actions in the mode of goodness can help become one purified. 
Um, it's usually in accordance with duty. It's performed without attachment, without love or hate, and by someone who's renounced the fruit of results. And we talked about this um, in a previous class as well. Like We want to do our duty um, because it's our duty to do so, but we don't want to be so attached to the outcome because that just kind of keeps you more entangled, right? We do what we're supposed to do, and the consequences of that will happen as they're supposed to happen, as you know, like things happen the way they're supposed to. Um, knowledge in the mode of goodness sees everything as one undivided spiritual nature, and it sees the undivided in the divided. So they see that there's one commonality in everyone, and that's the soul and the super soul in everybody, right? So Krishna's everywhere, God is everywhere, he's even in us, and we are all parts and parcels of him. So they see the divided, undivided and the divided. So it all seems like we're separated, but we're also linked, and we're not um, truly divided. We're, we have one purpose, one commonality. We're all parts and parcels of Krishna, of God. Um, a person in the mode of goodness is free from all material attachments, false ego, is enthusiastic and resolute, and is indifferent to success or failure. So again, that happens to go into the fruit of results. Like, you're not really so invested in the success or failure of something. It's just, it's the way it is. Nothing's good, nothing's bad. It's just the way it is. Um, the understanding of someone who's in the mode of goodness is that one knows what ought to be done and what ought not to be done. What is to be feared and what is not to be feared. What is binding and what is liberating. So they have knowledge. They understand this knowledge of what's real and what's not. And, you know, what we should be afraid of and what we shouldn't be afraid of. Well, And a lot of that just is because there's that understanding that everything is um, Krishna's mercy. So what's to fear? The determination is unbreakable, sustained by steadfastness, by yoga practice and controls the mind, life, and the acts of the senses. They experience happiness um, in the beginning may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar, and it awakens one to self-realization. So this is kind of one of the most important qualities of, of the mode of goodness that allows um, people to understand who is God, is that when they experience happiness, like at the beginning, it might actually seem like it's, Poison, right? So we hear these stories like when we first start to take up Krishna consciousness, we might lose, you know, um, a lot of money or things just kind of disrupt in our lives and it's painful. And But then when we get through that, it's like, oh, wow, things are really amazing. So we see that a lot. Um, I think a lot of us have a story like that, like there's something that kind of shook you up and you, you know, committed. And I mentioned last time, when we go through calamity, that's when we kind of turn to Krishna and, like, help me, right? Nobody, I mean, there are people, but very rarely do people come over to Krishna and, like, Krishna, oh, my God, help me. I'm so successful and I'm so happy. Please save me from this, right? But honestly, that's like this, the same, it's like two sides of the same coin, happiness and distress. And so here it says, one who's in the mode of goodness looks at happiness and distress as the same, right? Whether you're saying, save me from success or save me from failure, it's the same, like just that um, deep, you know, just 
surrender, right? Like, help me. I'm yours. I'll do whatever, right? Sometimes we hear that from people. I'll do anything to achieve this. And then you're like, will you really do anything? Because, you know. (laughs) And so that's really how it is, right? Because we're not really going to do everything. But we can see how the qualities are conducive to understanding deeper knowledge and truth. And then I mentioned earlier that goodness is not the end result. There's a step beyond, right? It's the transcendental mode. So we want to transcend the material modes of nature and attain the transcendental mode. That clock is wrong. It says 7 o'clock. I was like, whoa, I've been talking for a long time. Um, In Bhagavad Gita 14, 19, Krishna says, when you see that there is nothing beyond these modes of nature in all activities and that the Supreme Lord is transcendental to all these modes, then you can know my spiritual nature. He goes on to say, when the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes, he can become free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and can enjoy nectar even in this life. So this is the key, right? We have to come up to the mode of goodness so that we can transcend the material modes of nature. And, you know, from whatever position, the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion, or even the mode of goodness, we can get to the transcendental mode, but we can't do it on our own. How can we do it, right? So even Krishna asked, I mean, Arjuna asked this of Krishna in 1421. He says, Oh, my dear Lord, by what symptoms is one known who is transcendental to those modes? What is his behavior? And how does he transcend the modes of nature? So we talked about ignorance, goodness. Now we're going to look into the qualities of what's transcendental, right? Krishna responds in Bhagavad Gita 14:22 to 25 that one who's transcendental does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion when they are present, nor longs for them when they disappear. He's seated like one unconcerned, being situated beyond these material reactions of the modes of nature, remains firm, knowing that the modes alone are active, Regards alike pleasure and pain, so that's what we're talking about, right? Like happiness and distress, pleasure and pain, it's the same thing. It's just, it's material, and, you know, you'll feel it, but you can transcend above it. Looks on a clod, a stone, and a piece of gold with equal eye. So gold or stone, it's the same to them, right? Money or poverty, it's kind of the same because they're, um, entranced with Krishna and um, the divine and divine service. So that's where they're getting all of their strength. Wise, holds praise and blame to be the same, is unchanged in honor and dishonor, treats, treats friend and foe alike, has abandoned all fruitive undertakings. So this is what Krishna says are the the qualities of someone in the transcendental mode who's transcended the modes of material nature. And we can see that there's a general general, um, theme there. It's that whatever is happening, they're unequivocal, right? It doesn't affect them. They realize that I'm not this body. I'm spirit soul. I'm servant of Krishna. And therefore, what's happening to this body is just happening to this body. It might be some pain or pleasure, um, but it'll go away, like it's all the same, right? 
when you're having, like you notice this, I notice this a lot, right? If I'm having fun, I'm, let's say I'm at a party and I'm having fun and um, I'm really enjoying myself, there's a thought, there's a thought that runs to my head. In a couple of hours, this is going to be over. And then what's going to happen, right? So whenever you have happiness, it's, you know it's fading. It's going to go away. It's fleeting. And it's the same thing whenever I'm going through some hardship. I remember that thought that I had when I was at a party having fun, and I think, oh, this too shall pass, right? Like, this is going to go as well. So when you start to look at it's just something that you're going through, it might be a little difficult, it might be hard, it might be painful, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's easier to kind of endure, tolerate that distress that you're feeling. And it's the same thing with happiness, right? Like when you're happy and you're going, you know, things are great, it's cyclical. It's going to pass. So might as well just kind of, you know, be in the moment and, and enjoy it or just kind of realize that it's going to pass and it's fleeting and it all comes in cycles. And so Arjun asked in part of his question, how does one achieve the transcendental mode? And Krishna responds in 1426, one who engages in full devotional service does not fall down in any circumstance at once transcends the modes of material nature and thus comes to the level of Brahman. That's so easy, right? Like, we engage in devotional service, we don't fall down in any circumstance, um, and we can transcend the modes of material nature. So how can we do that? How does one engage in full devotional service and not fall down in any circumstance? Anybody have any ideas? You guys are quiet. <laughs> Association with devotees, that's a good one. Sincerely taking shelter of the spiritual master. That's actually um, what we're going to talk about. As Prabhupada says here, um, <clears throat> One can gradually rise to the sattva platform by the expert direction of the spiritual master. Sincere candidates, therefore, must approach an expert spiritual master for such a progressive march. The bona fide expert spiritual master is competent to direct a disciple from any stage of life. We can't do it on our own. We have to have um, guidance from an expert, qualified, bona fide spiritual master. And we kind of see this throughout, right? I mean, I've heard um, in a lot of circles people say, oh, well, you know, spirituality is very personal, and we don't need a spiritual master or teacher. You know, we just it's internal. It's what we know. We kind of go from there. But if we look at other aspects of our lives, we have teachers in all other aspects, right? Like if you, let's say you want to repair a lawnmower, and you don't have the first clue about, repairing lawnmower, what are you going to do? I'm going to Google it, look it up on YouTube, watch a couple of videos, right? So I'm learning from someone. It wasn't that that knowledge was just internal inside of me and I manifested it and I was like, oh, I figured it out. You know, this We're all big on DIY, right? Do it yourself. But do it yourself, you still have to take some kind of instruction from somebody, even if it's, you know, Google or YouTube. Um you know, when I wanted to become a doctor, 
I didn't just say, oh, well, you know, I have the power and knowledge to heal. No, I had to go through school. And in school, you know, we learn from books, but we also learn from teachers. And then we go through what's internship and residency. So you're actually like learning in, in the experience of it, but you're being guided by your, you know, senior doctors, attendings, as we call them. Um, so it's not that, you know, I just kind of, Learned, And even if I did learn picking up a textbook, I'm still learning from another source. Um, I mean, nowadays, people don't want to come see a doctor. They just go and consult with Dr. Google, right? But still, they're consulting. Again, Google is another source of information, whether it's correct or not, you know. There's all sorts of information out there. So that's why we have to look at this word expert, qualified, bona fide, right? Those are important descriptions of the spiritual master because um, there's so much conflicting information out there, right? And we can be guided to the wrong way. Um, one of my big passions as far as, you know, like health and wellness is nutrition, right? Because nutrition plays such a big part of our health. And yet there's so much conflicting information out there. And a lot of times, you know, it goes to what we want to hear. So there is um, study and evidence upon evidence that red meat and processed meats and meats in general, you know, they can um, cause diseases like diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And they've known this. Like, I think uh, red meat is considered a stage 2 carcinogen. So they know that it causes cancer. And yet there was a report that just released on Monday and the American Medical Association or Internal Medicine, one of the journals, and they talked about that red meat is not as harmful as we thought, and we can go ahead and continue eating it. This is very conflicting information, right? So who do you believe? Well, the ones that are going to believe that are the ones that want to indulge in red meat, right? Even though there is so much evidence contrary, right? We see that when... Um, society doesn't eat as much red meat. They don't have as many high levels of cancer and heart disease. And yet we think, oh, this one came out and it supports what I want to do. Well, that's the same thing in spiritual life. You know, we learned from Srila Prabhupada that in order to attain this transcendental mode, to be engaged in um, devotional service and not fall down, there are certain guidelines we have to follow, Right. No meat, fish, or eggs, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and um, no gambling. I think I got them right. Um, and then we also want to spend time in mantra meditation, japa. We chant a certain number of um, rounds every single day. But then there are people that are like, oh, well, you don't have to do that, and you can still find Krishna. And, you know, you don't have to chant, you can still find Krishna. Maybe, but it becomes so much harder. And, you know, people that want to not do these things will say, oh, well, look, this person says that I don't have to do these things. And, you know, then you get led down a different path. So the idea here is that if you have a good, true spiritual master, they keep you guided, right, on the same path, on the right path. If we look at... um like we were talking about having a guru is important. Guru is actually now um, a 
well-known word in in the English language, right? Like you hear, oh, the so-and-so guru, right? Um, I hear in terms of like fitness guru. There's a certain connotation of what that means, right? This person is very well-informed on this topic, but not just that, they're really good at teaching it, right? Because you can have a fitness guru, or the opposite I've heard, the other term I've heard is a fitness buff. What do you think of when I say fitness buff, right? Someone who is living the life, they're they're healthy, they might be like, you know, built, lean, whatever it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving that knowledge. When you hear fitness guru, I think, oh, this person has a YouTube channel, they probably have a blog, they have, you know, they're teaching that information. Um, and people go to them because they embody that information, right? Like they'll say, well, this person looks like he's fit and he's teaching, so he must know right, what's going on. So we see that right there, already we're kind of looking at that guru to make sure he has qualifications, right? So it's the same thing in spiritual life. Even um, Arjuna turns to Krishna as his spiritual master, as his guru, right? He starts asking him questions when he has all these doubts, and Krishna begins to dispel his doubts. Um, In the Srimad Bhagavatam, the sages all had questions, and they consulted with Sutta Goswami, right? So he then becomes like the guru, giving the um, knowledge, the information, and from, you know, and he's giving the information from who he learned it from, right? So it's just, it kind of goes down that um, disciplic succession from teacher to student, student to teacher, um, in the introduction of, of the Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Prabhupada says, Vedic knowledge is not a question of research. Our research work is imperfect because we are researching things with imperfect senses. We have to accept perfect knowledge which comes down, as is stated in Bhagavad Gita, by the parampara disciplic succession. We have to receive knowledge from the proper source in disciplic succession, beginning with Supreme Spiritual Master, the Lord himself, and handed down to a, to a succession of spiritual masters. So we need um, a, a well-qualified teacher to help us, guide us through this um, spiritual path so that we're doing the right things and in the right way. And it's important to um, make sure that the guru is competent to teach the disciple um, in the context of all authentic Vedic literature. You know, you don't want someone who's going to be a charlatan or selling snake oil. Right? You want someone who's going to be, like, what he's saying is true, and it matches what you're reading. And then you mentioned association of devotees, and you're seeing other people are also kind of living that. So you you get confirmation that this person is teaching you the right things because... You can see the results of it. Um, on the other hand, we also have to make sure that we're qualified to approach a spiritual master. So in the purport of um, Srimad Bhagavatam 1529, Srila Prabhupada says, a person must be plain and gentle to receive the instructions of such a pure devotee. A pure devotee is a completely surrendered soul unto the personality of Godhead. He knows the personality of Godhead as the supreme proprietor and all others as his servitor. 
By the association of pure devotees only, one can get rid of all sins accumulated by mundane association. A neophyte devotee must faithfully serve the pure devotee, and he should be very obedient and strictly follow the instructions. These are the signs of a devotee who is determined to achieve success even in the existing duration of life. And even in the Bhagavad Gita 4.34, Krishna says, Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized soul can, can impart knowledge upon you because he has seen the truth. So we have to be ready for it. And we have to approach it in this in a humble manner, right? And we have to be willing to surrender um, and, you know, make this commitment to learn and get on this process, get on the journey. Um, so the idea is we have to have that desire somewhere, right? I've heard it said, um, one of my favorite lecturers, Rasatvira Swami, he says, like, if you're not in that boat on the journey to, you know, on your spiritual path, then want to get on that boat. And if you don't want to get in that boat, then want to want to get in that boat. And if you don't want to want to, then just want to want to want to, right? Somewhere, get on that line somewhere, on that ladder of wanting to get in the boat of, you know, um, spiritual life. And surrender here doesn't mean enslavement, oh, I'm going to give you everything. It means that I have full faith in my spiritual master and that he's going to guide me in a way that's going to be right for me. We know certain qualities of a spiritual master, that he knows what's in our hearts um, and what is good for us and what's not good for us. Right? We talk a lot about dharma. We talked a lot about that um, the last class that I gave. And... Our spiritual master is expert in guiding us as to what is our dharma and what is our duty, what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And he takes into consideration who we are, right? It's not that we have to become a completely different person and then we can serve Krishna. It's that we become the person we are and we add Krishna to that. So, you know, when I was um, going, deciding what I wanted to do and I was discussing it with my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami, um, you know, he thought it was a very right profession for me to go into, be, you know, medical school and to become a doctor. And um, I can see that. You know, he also guided me in certain things. He always pushed me to um, engage in public speaking, which at that time I was super shy about, but now I love it. And it's one of the things that I engage in regularly. Um, you know, in, I do seminars and I teach people on how to be healthy um, you know, he also, one of the things that he would always do is whenever I would attend Srimad Bhagavatam class, he would always make sure that I sang the verse, right? Like, usually when a guru is giving class, I mean, the temple room is filled, and there's so many people to speak the verse, right? And I'm terrible. Like, I can't hold a tune. I can't really speak Sanskrit. Um, <clears throat> and yet, he would wait, Right? So one time I thought, well, maybe it's just in my mind that he doesn't want me to speak the verse, and I just think he does, right? So he kept staring at me, and I didn't say the verse, and he let it go on. Like, practically everybody that was there had spoke, you know, like all the women had spoke, and he just, and then he finally just moved on with the rest of the class. And then I had the opportunity to serve him breakfast, and he was like, 
hey, why didn't you speak the verse? I wanted, I was waiting and waiting and you didn't. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you wanted me to. And I share this story because, you know, if I didn't have that encouragement from him, I don't know that I would have ever started to give Bhagavatam class because there's so much to be nervous about giving Bhagavatam class, right? There's like all this Sanskrit that you have to speak and you have to say the verse and you have, you know, um, give me information about medicine and I can talk on that for hours without preparing. But, you know, this I have to prepare for. And I can see the benefit of that, right? Like, I've learned so much each class I've given. It's like it deepens my knowledge. Um, I think when I first talked to Giraj Swami about giving class, he said, oh, this is really good because Srila Prabhupada said that whenever you give one hour of class, it's four hours of preparation. And that's definitely true, if not more. Because um, <clears throat> I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And so there's a lot of preparation there. And so I can see that... Um, my spiritual master, he saw that this would be a good thing for me. Like, this is what I'm on the path of doing. So he encouraged it in so many ways. Um, and so we can see that with, you know, we engage with our spiritual master, that they will truly guide us to what we're supposed to be doing and who we are and not um, pushing us to be an artificial version of ourselves. And that just comes from being authentically you, right? Like, you know, the spiritual master knows what's in your heart, but you also know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of and what you're doing, what you're not doing. So we can't, like, falsely renunciate when we're not there. But we also shouldn't falsely stay attached when we know that it's just um, not where we're at either. So sometimes, like, uh, I know that I have the capability of of going out and getting my day done um, staying up, sticking to a routine. But then sometimes I just think, oh, my God, I'm so lazy. I just want to sit and watch TV all day long, right? So that's not really who I am either, right? Because I, if I do that, then I don't feel good about myself, and it just it, it spirals. Um, so we can learn that, you know, there is a balance. We can't be less than who we are, and we can't be more than who we are. We are who we are. So... That's where we want to engage in ourselves, right? Be authentic and surrender, knowing that our spiritual master is going to um, cultivate that authenticity in us. And that way we can really engage in, in adding Krishna to our lives. So what questions do you have for me? Oh, gosh, these are really quiet. So, well, that's all I have. That I'm, oh, yes. Yeah, thank you for that wonderful class. You're welcome. Um, as for a question, um, how do we, because there are so many spiritual masters, there are so many gurus out there, like how do we know if someone is bona fide and someone is, you know, expert and be able to guide us in our spiritual lives. So um, there are some qualifications, right, um, to becoming a spiritual master. 
I kind of jotted down a few in the previous class that I gave, but it's actually, it's listed in the first um, chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam. And someone who speaks from um, the Vedas, right, they have to be completely free from all vice. They're well-versed in scriptures um, for religious life. They're well-versed in the Puranas, well-versed in histories, um, has studied them under the proper guidance, and can explain them well. Um, he's submissive, and he endows, uh, he's endowed with the favors of all um, spiritual masters before him. Uh, spotless in character, and conversant in um, the philosophy, able to teach it, right? And then also embodies it. So those are a few of of the qualifications, right? Um, there's a whole list of what you don't want them to do. I didn't make notes of those. But uh, I, a couple come to mind, right? Like a spiritual master shouldn't uh, accept fame and glory for his own self, right? He's going to accept it on behalf of Krishna. Like um, if you look at Srila Prabhupada, everything he did, he did it for Krishna. And he even says, like, he doesn't need big gold palaces and Rolls Royce, right? But his disciples wanted to give him the best of everything. They just took that to be the best for Krishna. And everything he used, he used for Krishna. Um, and we can see that in his behavior. And we can see that in some of the other spiritual masters that we have um, that are disciples of Srila Prabhupada. And so, like, when you look at... Um, maybe spiritual masters outside of uh, International Society of Krishna Consciousness, um, you can look at them if you're interested in that, under that scrutiny. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't any people that are authentic that'll um, be there, but then you also have to see what their final destination is. And, you know, in the Vedas, in the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, over and over it's highlighted that um, Krishna is the final destination, right? Service to Krishna, surrendering to Krishna. Um, so if we're not, if that's not our, what we where we want to go, then, you know, Iskand's not the right place for us. It's not the right ship. It's not heading in the right direction. Um, but if that is where we want to go, you have to look really deep and see that will another ship take you there? Because we know that this one will. So those are some things that you look at, you know, as far as um, within ISKCON choosing a spiritual master, it's just whoever um, speaks to you in that way, right? Like you, there's some connection that's made. You can see that they see you and there's a personal relationship there. Does that answer your question? Uh, it, it surely does. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, one of the reasons why I asked that question is that um, I've been, serving my spiritual master, and he preaches in China. And in China, um, there are many, like, self-made gurus. And people just believe almost anything they say, in a way. And there was one that uh, a follower of this person came and met my spiritual master. And um, they asked him about, is our guru bona fide, this, this and that? And... Um, the reply was, first you have to see if he's in a disciplic succession, like what you said. Um, then I think they get back to that person 
And because in Bhagavad Gita it says there like, um, I first taught Bhagavad Gita to the sun god and, and then I'm teaching it to you, Arjuna. So somehow this person got up the idea, oh, I will be the disciple of the sun god and I'm authentic. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, yeah, there's so many gurus who can just say anything they get from the scriptures. I mean, they use it in their own way and preach it in their own way. And um, yeah, it can be quite confusing sometimes. So, but thank you for that answer. Thank you. Um, yes, it's very confusing. There's a lot of confusing information out there. Um, one of the things that we understand when we read um, Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita is that what we are looking for, we'll find. Right, our heart will guide us there. So, you know, the people that are followers of him, there's something that they're looking for. They're not quite ready for what ISKCON has to offer, right? But they're looking for something. Um, we also see that in the in this age of Kali, the age of quarrel and hypocrisy, there's the propensity to cheat and be cheated. So it's not just that people cheat, but that people are cheated, right? So we have that propensity that will be gullible, we'll fall for something, we're naive, um, and that we can be tricked easily. Um, but at the same time, I mentioned earlier, it's what you want, right? If you truly don't want to give up certain vices, like it's hard to follow the four guidelines, right? To have, to abstain from intoxications, to, uh, you know, to not have illicit sex, to not gamble. So if it's really hard and you don't want to give those things up and somebody's telling you you don't have to give them up, you want to listen to that. So. Any other questions? 